and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis, Christianity in the book of Genesis, to be more precise. Where do we see the person and work of Christ already in this first book of the Bible? And by extension, our life in him as uh, the body of Christ is the church. We've talked about this quite a bit. Where do we see the members of that body and how do we live and move and have our being? How is this scripture not just a ancient Near Eastern history book, a one-off, but uh, speaking an enduring word to the church of all times and places. That's our concern as we go through. On the docket today is chapter 26. Isaac, our friend, has been somewhat passive in the last few chapters. Some are bothered by this. I think it's kind of fascinating. I think it's intentional. I think this is our Lord showing a thing or two about how his promises endure into future generations regardless of how much similarity or difference there is from one to the next, in some ways, Isaac is very different than Abe. And we've seen that already in the previous chapters. Abe is very active and and does what he does. Isaac, a little more just kind of behind the scenes at first. The whole Rebecca thing kind of comes to him. Um, and then after that, uh, we saw last chapter how uh, we still have attention on on Abraham. Where's Isaac in all of this? Um, he does offer a prayer, but even then we have more attention on Rebecca again and so on. Then it goes to Jacob and Esau. Here we get some more fight, uh, more activity from Isaac in chapter 26. I think uh, in some ways this this shows a little both and for Isaac, whether the church, whether the ministry happens to be a little more on the active, aggressive, Luther, Melanchthon, fight the good fight side of things, or whether it happens to be passively enduring what the Lord places upon her to endure as some heirs of the church. Um, Either way, his promises endure. And same with Isaac. Um, Very much he's sort of at the receiving end of things. He just is taken to be sacrificed. He goes along with it. He doesn't put up a fight and so on. Um, Rebecca brought to him. He just receives that gift and so on. Now we're going to see the the fight in Isaac here. We're going to see a little bit more activity here and also how um, this is linked to the promises of the past. First verse strikes me of chapter 26. There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is absolutely huge. This is Genesis's, Genesis' way of saying Remember what has gone before. This is a direct allusion to chapter 12 when there was a famine already for Abraham and Sarah and they have to go down to Egypt. Every The, the point is not just, you know, oh, like father, like son, or something surface level like that. The point is this is the reality of God's people in any time and place. There is a famine in the land. Tough times in the midst of being given this promise. You're a sojourner. Strangers here. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul would say. And so there is this link to an ongoing um, exodus of God's people. 
God gives a promise. He baptizes a baby, and immediately what? He kicks his son out into the wilderness. He throws us out into the chaos of this, the winds and the waves of this world. That's the exodus constantly of God's people, and that's throughout Genesis, and that's throughout Christianity. There's a famine again, and there's a sojourning again. You know, we have this promise. It's a beautiful thing, and yet here's the hardship. Here's the theology of the cross. It's not just a Luther thing. It's a Bible thing. Isaac goes to Gerar, which is, I mean, even in the word Gerar, Ger is um, or Geir, sojourn or place of sojourning, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, we, we kind of ran into Abimelech earlier. Chapter 21, you have that interaction between Abe and Abimelech. Abimelech is basically, I mean, some say it's a title. Some say it's an actual name. Abimelech... Um, Ahi Melech uh, of my king, uh, my father is of, my father is Melech, my father is king, or my fatherly king, or the king is my father, or something like that. I think, as we saw in 21, I think the point here is this is the, this is kind of the, the representative of the world, as it were, the biggest and baddest of the, of the kingdom of the left at the time. And so he's sojourning there in a place of sojourning under the princes of this world. The Lord, however, appears to him in the midst of this, like he did for Abe, kind of a big deal. We have a visual, right? Not just spoke, but also appeared. We have a visual, something much more tangible. And this is also, um, of course, the, the case in the divine service as well. In the midst of our sojourning, the Lord has let his salvation be seen. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for me in, with, and under bread and wine, and so on. The Lord appears to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. So there is a difference here. On the one hand, there is a famine. And yet at the same time, this time, unlike chapter 12 with the Egypt thing, don't go. sometimes you sojourn right here where you are. You don't have to do the big, bad um, relocate, geographical relocation in order to be a sojourner you can be in exile right where you are you could be in exile in your homeland you'd think about that for a second but that's the kind of god's people are in exile this is how the bible is the the beautiful thing here is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts what does it mean to be god's people you get a promise but then immediately it's what you're in exile you're tossed out and that doesn't necessarily mean, although it could, think chapter 12, be physically, geographically removed from something like I'm far away from the divine service and it's tough. It can also be, look, the church is right down the road and yet I'm restricted or held back in some way for some purpose from attending to the divine service, whatever it may be. This is the kind of sojourn, sojourning happens in many and various ways. And so he sojourns right where he is. And yet, I will be with you. I will bless you. For you and to your offspring, I'll give all these lands. I'll establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed." This is Abraham stuff only delivered to the next generation. That promise endures. I don't care how many years have passed between 
our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection, what he said to Thomas and so on, a thousand years is but a day. It's not a big deal. So no matter how much time, the promise is still good. Everything is up and running on all eight cylinders. And this continues to be the case for the church of all times and places. All of God's promises in Christ find their yes and amen all times and places. It's not affected by, you know, there's no, uh, it's not reaching its shelf life. It's not affected by chronology. Same promise endures here for the next generation. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. Isaac is given something that is greater than he is. It doesn't depend on him. Of course, this can be turned from. Um, but at the same time, this is why? Because Isaac's been such a great big deal? No, this is this is beyond him. This is not merit or worthiness on his part. And that is also the promises we receive in baptism and so on in the Christian faith. This is beyond us. This is... Why? Because of the faithfulness of my son, ultimately, is why I'm able to do this for you, why this is something that we are just beggars, and this is just something that's received, so also for Isaac. So he settles there in Gerar, and go figure, we have another wife-sister thing, which is constant with these, I think that's why this chapter does that, it's every age has its famine, every age has its sojourning, every age has the same promise that endures, And every age has, can you give up goods, fame, child, and wife? Though these all be gone, the victory still is ours. The kingdom remaineth. This is the kind of thing that is now pressed upon the same thing, enduring into successive generations. The men ask him about his wife. She says, she's my sister. Because he's afraid. Does this all sound familiar? Yes, this is totally chapter 12 again. And then um, she sees a king, Abimelech, um, of the Philistines, looks out, sees Isaac yidzacking. Isaac means laughter. And Isaac is laughing, yidzacking with Rebekah, his wife. And uh, that's, I think this is phenomenal the verb for Isaac we've seen used in ways that, uh, is it a law or a gospel thing? They name him Isaac uh, because of the laughter. Um, There is a law aspect there, the laughter of, hey, don't laugh. There's the conviction of um, unbelief. I can't believe it. But at the same time, there's the laughter of faith, the laughter of, oh, my I just can't believe how good the Lord is to me. There is also the Yidzak, back on the law side, of the persecution. You remember this with Hagar and so on, Yidzaking at uh, the one who will be chosen to transmit all of God's promises at Isaac. The Yidzaking can be a, a cross to bear. The mocking, the, the same verb there, yidzacking, mocking, persecution comes with this promise. So there's yidzacking there. There's a, a theology of the cross there that has to be taken up. And so that's also the same. That's why this is so rich is that Isaac is yidzacking. He's living out the life of faith with his wife. And that involves both Law and gospel, both cross and blessing, or the blessings that 
our Lord can make from a cross and so on. How'd you say she is my sister? Isaac says, lest I die. Abraham said, what is this you have done to us? We might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Sometimes you get pretty good protection for the church, don't you? Religious liberty, you know, hands off. And sometimes it's not as pretty as you'd like it to be. And that's the kind of Abimelechs we see throughout Genesis. Not every Caesar, not every Pope. <laughs> I should, I had a Luther moment there. Not every Caesar, not every, um, what, president, not every leader, not every Herod and so on is as friendly or treats the church in the same way. Here there's some protection, but we'll see that there's going to be some fighting still, even in the midst of this. It's kind of a give and take as the church rolls along. But nonetheless, this is the ongoing sacrifice of the church. This is the ongoing, what will you give up? Goods, fame, child, and wife, as I said, in order for the, for the sake of the gospel. Isaac is savvy here, you might say, just like Abe was in chapter 12. I think he's not going to tempt the Lord as in, well, I'll do whatever. And No, he does come up with a plan. But that's not to say that, you know, this is, oh, he's a terrible person and whatever else. So far as we know, I mean, Luther's big on Abe had many nights of sleepless nights and tears and tossing and turning and so on because this was such a, he was put in such a terrible spot. Choose between death and death, as it were. And uh, I think that's the bigger point here. The bigger point is that when we're pressed between, here's your decision, you want to die or you want to die, and you sin boldly and you, you do what you do, and you don't want to put the Lord to the test either. So he says, um, she is my sister, and so on. We talked about that. You can listen more for the podcast, chapter 12. But this is the ongoing struggle, and that is how best to protect the promise in the midst. And so we see that here with with Isaac. All right, lots more to say here about uh, chapter 26, and it's still very churchly stuff. Um, this fight I keep referencing comes uh, very clear here soon, but we'll pick that up right after the breaks. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on the contribute page. And now, back to the podcast.
Goodbye to their folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter 26. Isaac is uh, been playing a lot of defense. You might say now he's going on offense. And we're going to see that come very clear here with these wells dealing with Abimelech. So Isaac, this is chapter, verse 12 of chapter 26. Isaac sows in the land, he reaps a hundredfold. I mean, things are just going pretty well. Um, he shows faithfulness to the Lord's promise, and he's blessed already in this life. Sounds like our Lord, doesn't it, in the gospel. He'll we'll receive already in this life um, blessings and even more in the life to come. So the Lord blesses him. He becomes very rich, very wealthy. Doesn't this sound exactly like the end of chapter 12? Abe comes out of Egypt. He has gold and silver, camels and everything. He's very wealthy. And then what? He has possessions, flocks, herds, many servants. This is like the beginning of chapter 13. This is all deja vu, isn't it, for Abe, now for Isaac. And then, guess what? Now the Philistines envy him. This is almost like, I mean, we're just tracking chapter 12 and then into chapter 13. What? Abe has so many possessions, the land can't hold all of his stuff with all of Lot's stuff. And so they have to sort that out. Now Isaac is what? He has all this possessions and the Philistines envy him. This is uh, revved up a notch. With Abe, it's kind of a, I don't know, sort of an agreeable exchange there with Lot. Well, you take what you want, and I'll take the other. And so Lot goes after what he sees uh, looks like the Garden of God. And uh, here it's what? The Philistines had filled the earth, all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abram, his father. So it's a big deal. We talked about those wells. This is huge. The well is what was giving life to Hagar, to Ishmael in the middle of the, the desert. It's, it's the place of life. It's the place of the, the wellspring of salvation in the prophets, it's a thing of the church. It's a mark of the church. Hands off. Abe fought for that thing. Everything was kind of honky-dory in chapter 21 until Abimelech uh, messed with the well, and then it is hands off the well. Hands off. And now it just appears that that some of those churches have closed, you might say, uh, in the region. They used to be big and booming, and now they're whatever community centers or decrepit or whatever. Um, and so those those wells have been filled. Abimelech says to Isaac, get away from us. You're much mightier than we. I mean, sometimes the church prospers. That's the other thing too. I mean, the, the world kind of, they close down this or that, and then the, the, the storm cloud of the gospel moves along and prospers in another place, such that not even the gates of hell will ever prevail against it. So Isaac departs from there, and he camps in the valley of Gerar and settles there. This is, again, is this, he's, he's in a kind of sojourning, a place of sojourning still, even with, with now all this cash. Isaac digs again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father. This is a, re, this is a revival. <laughs> this is a rekindling of the church. This is an unearthing, pun intended, of the of the wells of salvation, you might say. And he gives them the names that his father had given him. This is a rekindling. This is a, a renewal, a restoration. 
this is like, you know, we didn't keep the Passover for a long time, but then they, you know, in, in uh, the book of Joshua, they kept it again. Same with circumcision and so on. The, the wells are open again. They're flowing. And uh, just as there was conflict in the early days, so also is there conflict again. When you, when you maintain, the church is always reforming. <laughs> There's a famous saying that goes by that. There's, the church is constantly in a kind of state of, of renewal, you might say. When Isaac's servants dug in the valley, found the well of spring water. Now they're mission planting. The herdsmen, so this is, these are pastors. These are shepherds. That's where we get that word pastor, the Latin. Uh, they're shepherds. Now there's herdsmen, there's shepherds, there's these ministers of Gerar fighting with Isaac's pastors, saying, this is ours. And so he calls it, so now there's a conflict here over this, this mark of the church. And he named it um, Essek which is a funny word that means something like contention, strife or contention, because they contended with him. And so this has been characterized, this, this church plant has been characterized by struggle, financial and, you know, political and so on. Sound familiar? Then they dug another well. They quarreled over that one also. They called its name Sitna, which means something like enmity. This is... The, the nature of the church is always bound up with this strife, contention, enmity. There's no peaceful church plant. There's no peaceful, smooth sailing mission work. He moves there, digs another well. They could not quarrel. They did not quarrel over it. And that's the fascinating thing. It, the Lord has his appointed cross. It's the times and the seasons. And then we pray in the collect for a time of peace and the Lord grants it. So he calls its name Rehoboth, which uh, means like a broad, a broad place or a roomy place. Um, this is in the Psalms and, and so on. It's something that the Lord does for us, provides a, a broad place for us to dwell in and so on. This is like promised land stuff, peace and, and tranquility. We're undisturbed. This is the life of the church. It bears its crosses as it as it maintains um, the marks of the church as it protects the marks insofar as it depends on us. And we don't know always how long that strife or contention will, will last as far as churchly conflict, conflict between churches, conflict within the church, conflict between the church and the Abimelech of our time. And yet the church and yet these, these marks prevail the Lord's things, his word, his sacraments, they don't go anywhere. They endure. And he goes up and then the Lord appears to him as well. I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, I'm with you, will bless you, will multiply your offspring for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he builds an altar there, calls upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. This is fantastic. This is just like... The establishment of the, the church of Isaac, Bishop Isaac, um, he goes there to Beersheba, this well of seven, this very significant place where the, the wells were in uh, the life as, of his father. The Lord appears, you know, why is it that the Lord appears in conjunction with these wells? I mean, the Lord is present everywhere, and yet he appears for the sake of his 
people, to save them, to bless them, to do particular benefits for them in the divine service. So my eyes have seen your salvation in this particular place. And so he builds an altar there. He calls upon, this is divine service. There are sacrifices, there are hymns, there are prayers, catechesis. He pitches his tent there. So what's built? Not a city, but an altar. That's foundational. And then he pitches a tent because, hey, there's more going on than just this life. We're strangers here. And then they dug a well. This is just totally, this is churchly renewal, revival, protection, and blessing. Isaac is on the offense, isn't he? Isaac, this is, I mean, sometimes the church is a little more on the passive, receive, do what's been given side of things. And sometimes the church needs to step it up a notch. Religious liberties are being uh, threatened struggles with the Abimelech of our age, call for the church to find her voice in new, in new ways. And yet throughout the midst of it all, what's central, what's foundational, the same exact marks that we had in previous generations. The word and the sacrament taught in its truth and purity, administered in its rightly in its truth and purity. And that's the beauty of chapter 26 and Christianity in it all the same as it's witnessed here. Finally, Abimelech goes from Gerar with a couple others. We saw Fikol earlier. Now we have this Ahuza, his advisor. Isaac says, why did you come to me seeing that you hate me and you sent me away from you? Now they, I don't know, it's kind of like earlier where it's like, hey, we see that the Lord is with you in all that you do. <laughs> Rabbi, Nicodemus says at night, we know that God is with you because you do these signs. Um, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. This is just the, this is the life of the church also, where you get, you get some honest Caesars that come this way and that, you know, the church is, there's something going on there. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us. Does this sound familiar? This is the same thing in chapter 21. Isaac swears with Abimelech there. They make some sort of agreement. They make a pact. You got to do what you got to do in order to preserve these marks. And so they sign on the dotted line that you'll do us no harm. We'll have this covenant. You'll do us no harm just as we have not touched you, not done anything to you, but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? He uses the divine name too, which is anytime a, you know, so anytime a stranger, a foreigner does that, here's this ruler taking the Lord's name. This is a big thing, a confession of sorts. Isaac then brings them to a feast, to eating and drinking. He brings them to a meal. This is the kind of confession that, I mean, you take the Lord's name upon your lips and you, and you, you confess that the Lord is with you and so on. There is, uh, there is something here. How much, uh, is it the seed of faith? Is it, you know, is it, um, we just don't, we're not told. And so often that happens where, you know, it seems like somebody is is captivated by what's going on in the church and they want to know more. They they say that we, you know, I, I, I see now that this is the case or I used to believe that, but, you know, um, this has had an influence on me. Isaac brings them to the feast. 
They eat and drink. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of catechesis. Whatever you hear in your your dialogues with your friends or whatever the case, ultimately you're going to bring them to the marks of the church. Throughout this chapter, we've had the wells. Think baptismal fonts, you might. And then we have the feast. All this mission work with the the biggest and the baddest of the world, no matter what level they, they operate, we want to connect them to the things of the Lord, the wells, the places of the well, what's going on there around the well, the divine service, and also this feast. And so I, I see here echoes of that, that kind of arrangement, even if, oh, this is just a regular feast or just whatever. But the way that the, the chapter unfolds, I think, at least intimates that, that there's an order here, there's a structure here, there's central things here that this activity with the world all revolves around that gives shape to it and informs it and so on. In the morning, they, they rise, they exchange oaths. This is a very, you know, kind of a solemn thing, isn't it? Vows, fruits of the Spirit, at least on Isaac's part, we know. I mean, all the indications are, you know, pointing that way. Isaac sends them on their way. This sounds, again, all very much like Abe. They departed in peace. I mean, this is all, whatever you make of the, like the historical Abimelech here, I mean, that all kind of intimates this. They have a, wow, they have the meal. Or again, the wells are central. Then they have the bringing in and the confession, the Lord's name. They have the feast. They have the vows. They have the part in peace. And then Isaac's servants, does this all sound familiar? And then Isaac's servants came and, and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. This is just so rich, isn't it? He called it Sheba, which is something like oath. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is kind of a, a throwback to the days of Abe. This is just what remains central in the church of all times and places. The centrality of our Lord's marks, his churchly things, the wells here, the water that flows from them. Um, that is the means. It's having its effect. We have found water. This is our sustenance for this sojourning. Whoever comes and goes, whatever the historical Abimelech here is, we see the, the pattern, how this, we've now been refreshed. We've now seen the salvation that you prepared for both Jew and Gentile, for both Isaac and Abimelech. For all who heed the call. Finally, we get this Isaac is 40 years old, which means, or sorry, with Esau is 40, which means Isaac has reached his hundred, kind of like Abe, you know, this full hundred years of activity with the Lord. Abe dies at 175, but still you have this hundred years, this complete period. Esau is 40. He takes Judith. We have this marriage with the Hittites. And that makes things rough for Isaac and Rebecca. So even though you leave the church and you're singing this, you know, my eyes have seen your salvation, you know, there is this little pebble in the shoe, as it were, as you go out to the the weekly vocation that reminds us of the ongoing hostility and strife that will not be completely obliterated until the consummation of our Lord's great and awesome day that comes with the second coming of his only begotten son. We'll have more to say about that as we move along, but hey, chapter 26 in the books. Tune in next time, my friends, and uh, spread it to others so that we can...
together, learn more about God's Word. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.